0: appreciated that the Revoirs wanted to include us on that dedication, that uh, we made that happen. Thank you, media team, for making that happen. And uh, we are family here. And thank you again for taking the time to do this. As a family, we want to continue to reach out to people. We have a great opportunity uh, to reach out to people uh, with hope and friendship. There are many people in need And what I've learned about hope and friendship, it's not just people who are financially struggling. It is people who are emotionally struggling, who are going, who have finances, and yet health issues hit them, and they need our help. And so it's a great opportunity always to participate in hope and friendship. Uh, Some some of you have already brought in some cleaning supplies. You can do that. But please mark your calendar. Here at our church, we're going to be putting together these these Easter items. Uh, so on April twelfth, Tuesday, you can participate in this event. It's in the afternoon. It's in the early afternoon. But uh, if you can mark your calendars, we'll remind you next week. But it's going to be a wonderful opportunity again to be hands and feet to those in need. So please participate in that. And then this Saturday. Thank you to those who have been bringing in candy. We will be out in our community again at the hippity-hoppity bunny trail just being the love of God by, yes, giving candy, but by smiling, being there for those who are in need. So keep bringing in the candy uh, this week. And if you want to participate in this event, please talk to to Pastor Heather. As always, if you want to be connected to our church, you can hit the Connect button online here in the building if you're looking for church family, you can fill out a Connect card and put it in our giving boxes, where you can also take your giving, as we recognize through our giving that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift, and that's why we give to Him, and so this morning online, you can do that by hitting the giving button. Well, we have a special guest uh, with us. He is no stranger to you, so Mark, come on up and and share the word of the Lord uh, with us. I know many of you have been greeting him already. Uh, He's one of my best friends because he took me to a Notre Dame football game, but come on up, Mark, and uh, I know that won't be the last one we'll go to, but hope it's yours. Thank you. Good morning.
1: Good morning. How's my hair? All right, you can hear me. That's good. It's a pleasure to be with you. I was supposed to be with you uh, last weekend, but I had just returned from uh, Zambia, Sick. So I figured uh, I'd impose on Pastor Sid and ask him to preach. Thank you, Pastor Sid. I know that was um, a real blessing to have you share last week and uh, watched online. So thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, if we don't know each other, let me start there and introduce myself and my family. Uh, we are the Andreasons, not Andersons, but Andreasons. Uh, wife Kim is over there, Kim. Um, and uh, let's go back to that family photo first one, and my son Jonathan is listening to me today. Stand up, Jonathan. Let's put you on the spot. That's Jonathan. Jonathan is 11 years old now, and uh, we are the Andreessens, and we lead a ministry called the Institute for Youth Studies. Uh, for those that don't know, I used to be on staff here as one of the staff pastors for a number of years. We consider this to be our home church, and uh, that's why we always keep coming back. And um Ten years ago, when I was in the Philippines, training youth leaders from about 20 nations, uh, the Lord loaned me a vision uh, that I should encourage, equip, and empower global youth ministers. It was a vision. It was very prolific. It transformed my life. I remember coming back and praying and seeking God and telling um, uh, the past, Pastor Jim and the board, uh, God was meeting Kim and I somewhere. We didn't know exactly where, but we knew in time we would be leaving. And so we've been uh, pursuing that vision for the Institute for Youth Studies for almost 10 years. But three years ago, last Sunday, we actually registered a 501c3 nonprofit organization. So last week was our official birthday, uh, although I guess you could say um, the vision was really birthed within us 10 years ago. So I want to start today by encouraging you, by giving you an update uh, on our ministry and what we've been up to just in the last Months already this year, it's been overwhelming what God has done through our small ministry and the team of volunteers. So I want to update you and encourage you from our work at IYF, and then I want to encourage you from the Word of God today. Although I was so blessed by the encouragement um, that Jake shared earlier, I took notes, Jake. Uh, I love that it was a three-point sermon, and maybe you should pursue youth ministry. Or okay, all right, um, I got a couple people looking for someone. See me afterwards. All right. so uh, here's a little bit about what we've been up to, and then, um, and then we'll transition and share with you an encouragement from God's Word. Uh, several things that we do in our ministry, we really encourage, equip, and empower, but we do this in a unique way. We come alongside and we collaborate with leaders. Uh, we consult with them and we coach with them. And we work almost exclusively with high-level youth ministry influencers. So here's a couple of photos. Uh, the first photo was us with national youth directors here in America. In January, we hosted some leaders. From denominations um, a thousand representing thousands of churches in America. In fact, we have a, a team of youth leaders that, that we uh, encourage and we collaborate with. That uh, I think in the next month or two will reach 31,000 churches that are influenced by those leaders being invested in. And so we had some come, and we're here in the Chicago area, and for about 48 hours, we looked at the issue of staffing challenges. Uh, we need youth ministers. Uh, we need them to be healthy. We need them uh, to flourish in their role. And how can we do that across churches, across the nation? And so that was a gathering. And then I went right away from that to Florida and uh, was with global youth leaders from around the world. There's a photo of that. And was able to do some consultancy and some um, other work with youth leaders from the Caribbean, from Central Asia, uh, from Africa. And uh, what we do is often just sit down and listen to leaders and the vision that God put in their heart. To reach their nations, and we begin to help them think through what they need to do to reach that destination. We found that almost no one is coming alongside these high-capacity leaders and helping them see the vision that God has put on their heart come true. Um, many people say, "Hey, we want to help you, but we want you to do what we want." And that's not what we do. We come along and we say, "Okay, how has the Holy Spirit spoken to you, and how can we come along with supportive services to see that dream come true?" And so we really inspire leaders. In fact, some of you were praying for me. Uh, I was just recently in Zambia. Zambia is a smaller country in the southern part of Africa. And here's a couple of photos from our trip. Uh, We do inspire leaders. And so we were there uh, helping a client out. We have a wonderful client. It's a ministry that uh, helps youth know the gospel and share the good news. And so part of what they do is they help young ladies with feminine hygiene products. Toiletries and training and so forth. Here's a couple of photos. We can go to the next slide. And so uh, there's a photo with, oh, there's some of the great international leaders. Um, let's go to the next one. Oh, there's some other great international leaders. Uh, okay, there I am in Zambia, uh, Africa, with my client, David. There's two of us in the blue shirts. And we, while we were there, we were able to help them develop this feminine hygiene project called High Hope, uh, Hygiene and Hope. And uh, we had a couple outreaches at rural school and then a rural health clinic, and over 250 young people heard about their worth and value is found in God and uh, not defined by the world and not defined by those that may have abused them, Uh, but their identity is found in Christ, and that Christ Jesus has come to uh, rescue them and restore them, and uh, then we're able to bless them with toiletries and explain to them how to use cloth reusable sanitary pads to avoid uh, urinary tract infections and cervical cancer and so forth. Uh, the school that we actually worked with last year had six mi- six middle school girls that dropped out because of pregnancy. Um, and this is often not of their own choosing. Um, and so if these girls have these toiletries, they stay in school, and they have a better trajectory for their life. And so it was a wonderful time working with our uh, client, helping this initiative come true. And uh, we have a lot of follow-up work to do to help them think through strategy and programming and curriculum and so forth. Are there any other photos from Zambia? I don't know what's next. Okay, let's go to the next slide. We do training. We're not a training organization, but uh, in the last month or so, I've had the opportunity to work with uh, Movement in Africa. Uh, they're in 33 countries. Last year, they had 250,000 youth in their programs. And so we are able to do some training with their team on structuring, on strategy. Um, uh, what we're finding around the world is young people are uh, living out their faith. Uh, they don't want to just come and consume and hear the Word of God. They want to go difference in the world, and they want to uh, address injustices and challenges and conflict, and they want to bring the hope of Jesus Christ in the world. And in fact, this particular movement they were consulting with uh, over the last few years, they've launched 300 churches around community gardens, and they're doing phenomenal things. And so we did some training with them to think through their initiative. We have uh, some other projects we're doing with this initiative. Again, 33 countries in Africa, and they just need some help uh, with strategy and structuring Here's another uh, photo. Uh, We do create for impact, not not just training, but we create. uh, At the end of last year, we finished up a global survey of youth leaders from 22 nations, and we also finished up a resource on lament. What is lament? Why is it important? How do young people share their hurt and their pain with God? How do they find hope? Um, We also created a resource for youth leaders here in America uh, that we think will help over 30,000 churches. So those are some screenshots of the resources that we're creating and co-creating with others. In fact, uh, we're in the process of creating a youth devotional uh, resource for young people on reconciliation. How do I um, reconnect with someone that I'm at odds with? What does that look like? How do I do that? And so uh, we'll be meeting this week online. We do a lot of stuff online, and we'll be working with uh, a leader in Ghana, uh, Zambia, India, and Kenya on reconciliation or uh, reconnecting the people that you're at odds with. So pray for us as we do a lot of training, we do a lot of co-creation, we do a lot of consultancy, uh, a lot of coaching. But all of that is really supportive services that help uh, awesome youth leaders. So I want to thank you uh, for everyone that prays for our ministry. Uh, we do have a new prayer card. It's on the table in the lobby. My haircut is the same. Um, but um, please grab that. Thank you for partnering. We have a number of you that are uh, your families financially partnered with us. This church is a financial partner. With thanks for that, we've had some of you that have volunteered and given your skills and time to help. Last year, I think we had uh, almost twenty-five volunteers in our ministry. So thank you, and thank you for passing the word on. We think people need to know that God is doing things in our world, that the church is making a difference, impacting the lives of young people around the world. Amen. So thank you again. That's my missions update. I pray you're encouraged. I do have some uh, things I brought back from Zambia, and I can share more about the hygiene initiative. And feel free to stop by the table and see me before you leave today. Now, I want to pivot. And I want to encourage you from God's Word. And uh, over the last several weeks, uh, maybe months, you've been looking at King Jesus, and I want to talk to you about Jesus in the waiting room. Uh, can you imagine that the King of all is in the waiting room? How many know there are times in your life when you're in the waiting room? You're just waiting on God. You're waiting on a miracle. You're waiting on an answer. I'll tell you one thing that happened when I was in Zambia the other week. Um, my client's wife uh, is expecting her third child, and it's a very, um, it's a very sensitive pregnancy. And so um, uh, I found myself in the waiting room with uh, my client uh, and his wife. And um, it was an interesting experience to be in this uh, country, a developing country. And in that hospital in the maternity ward uh, with her and several other women dealing with crisis in pregnancy, and it provided an opportunity for me to pray and sense God's presence and discern how God could use me in the midst of the waiting room. And I want to encourage you today, maybe you're in a waiting room experience, you need God to do something in your life, or maybe you have people in your life that are waiting and they're longing, they're desiring for something more, something better, and God has positioned you in the waiting room with them, maybe through friendship or maybe because you're family, and you're wondering what your role is. And helping them. Well, I hope this message encourages you today. We're going to look at John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. I'll be using the New International Version of Scripture. Let me give you a roadmap. map. Uh, what I'd like to do is read the text, John 5. It'll be on the screen. I'd like to just unpack the setting and give you a little bit of the historical context. And then I'd like us to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Okay? And then we're going to dig in and I want to share with you three things you can do when you're in the waiting room. Okay? Are you guys ready for that? All right. We're going to go to John chapter 5, verse 1 through 9, the first part of 9. And uh, it starts this way. Sometime later, Jesus went to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Seems like a pretty obvious question. Verse 7. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Beautiful story here. Let me just... the context a little bit, Uh, Jerusalem had a city wall around it, and there are various entryways or gates into the heart of the city uh, going through that wall. One of those gates was called the Sheep Gate, and often it's where shepherds would bring their sheep in and out of the city. And then near that gate was a pool. Now, this wasn't like a local swimming pool that you go to in the summer. Uh, This was like a a hot spring. Some of you, maybe you've been to a hot spring. Kim and I lived in Colorado for a few years, and uh, Jonathan, you lived with us. And uh, we would travel and go to these hot springs and it had natural minerals and it would be stirred up and we would just soak in these hot springs and come out looking like prunes. And that was essentially what this was like. This was probably a medium-sized pool where people would go and uh, bathe in it or soak in it. Now, what's interesting here is uh, you may have noticed in this translation of Scripture, uh, there's a verse missing. um, It's verse number 4. It gives a little bit more context. You see, it was believed in that day and time that an angel would come and stir the water and that the first one or two people that entered the water would be miraculously healed. Okay, And so uh, some uh, recent um, publishers will leave that verse out because it's not in the original manuscript, but it was implied. That was a common belief was that the water was stirred miraculously by angels and that Whoever stepped in it, the first one or two people maybe, were healed. And that's why the man said, hey, I've been trying to get in the pool for 38 years, and people beat me to it. And so they get healed. I don't get healed. Um, Now, uh, the reality of it is uh, historians and those that study these things believe that likely uh, there was an underground spring, uh, a hot spring that fed that pool. And every so often there would be a gush of minerals. And likely that would cure things like eczema and skin rashes and so forth irregardless of how people were healed, there was an understanding at that place, at that waiting room, miracles happened. Amen? And so I think it's a relevant picture for us today because all around us is a world waiting for something better. All around us are people longing for something more. In fact, in your own life, either today or at some point, you're going to be waiting on God to work in a miraculous way. You need him to stir the water. You need him to That's the context. I want to share with you three things from the text um, that you can apply in your own life as you're waiting for your miracle. Or as you are sitting next to someone in their waiting room. Okay, Let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit to open our minds and our hearts. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity just to look at text today, to excavate, to dig in, and to unearth some things that will impact our lives. I realize that for those walking in faith, those that are Christians, those that are mature, uh, much of what I share today will not be new. But I pray, Lord, it will solidify and confirm and sharpen their faith. Lord, I realize there might be some here today that do not know you in a very intimate and personal way. I pray that this message, Lord, as they wait for salvation, as they wait for eternal hope, that this message, Lord, will stir up faith in their hearts and minds. And that they will trust in you. Lord, there may be some here today that are wayward. Um, they've put up some walls and become hardened in their heart. Maybe they were waiting on you once and you didn't come through as they fought. And, but today, Lord, would they would they realize by the power of your Spirit that you are there working all things for good. So, Lord, we ask right now, as we look at this text, uh, that you would open our minds and our hearts to hear from you. And, Lord, that you would help us apply it and use this in our life and in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing I know from the text here, the very first thing I know, and it's, it, it's, so, it's so very clear to me, is that Jesus saw the broken man. Jesus saw the broken man. It says this, uh, verse 6, When Jesus saw him lying there, learning he had been in that condition for a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? Uh, Now, you have to understand that the context is that there were people with a variety of ailments and injuries, but uh, some of the original language used in this text really refers to people that had their joy robbed from them. Their, Their sense of fulfillment and satisfaction, their sense of purpose had been robbed. They were broken, they were invalid, they were discouraged. And it says into that waiting room around that Pool enters King Jesus. And Jesus saw the man. Now, it's pretty obvious he saw the man, but the original language is more specific. It means he perceived something about him. You ever see someone and you catch something about them or you know, something about their dress or their character or their nature kind of pulls you in? That's actually what happened here. Is that amongst all of the people around the pool, Jesus' eyes were drawn to that man. And he saw him differently than other people. And you know what? There's a beautiful truth today. It's so simple. It's a beautiful truth. And it's this, that Jesus also sees you. He sees you. He perceives you. He knows you. I'm reminded here of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10 in the New Testament portion of Scripture. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good works or the good things he planned for us long ago. I love here that in this text it tells us that we are a masterpiece. You see, God has always seen us that way. A few weeks ago I heard a very uh, well-known preacher say, you know, the good news starts with bad news. The gospel starts with the fact that we're sinners. I thought, no, 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 no. The good news starts with good news. It starts that God created us to be with Him. God designed us to be in a healthy relationship with Him. It was God's blueprint since the beginning of time, in fact, before we could measure time, that we would be in a healthy, whole, harmonious relationship with Him and with one another. That's good news. It was always God's plan Always his plan, always his purpose, always his desire that we would be healthy and whole and in harmony with him and one another. That's good news. And he crafted us as unique masterpieces, as works of art, and he sees each and every one of us with intrinsic value. Now, when I was in Zambia, we spoke to these young girls. We had over 250 students, boys and girls, uh, but especially girls, that we were talking to. Some of them had experienced great abuse in their life, and um, uh, the team I was with took uh, some local currency, and they, they held it up, and they said, how many of you want this money? And all the kids are like, yay. They're very impoverished kids, so they wanted the money, right? And, um, and then they took that money, and they threw it in the ground, and they rubbed it in the dirt, and, and they held it up, and they said, how many want the money? Yay. They all still wanted the money. And... Uh, And then one of the guys took the money and he rubbed it and burned it. How many still want the money? Yay! They all wanted the money. Because they all recognized that no matter what had been done to that currency, it still had value. And then we told them that their value was given to them by God. And that it didn't matter what anyone had done to them. Their value is from God. And I want to tell you today that God sees you. And your value lies in Him. You are a masterpiece. The reality of it is that sin fools us. And sin hides and distorts the fact that each and every one of us are masterpieces. I remember a couple years ago, a young man, a young adult, um, to make a political statement, went into an art museum in New Mexico. And in that particular art museum was a painting by Pablo Picasso, a name that we all know. The particular painting was called Woman and Red Armchair. And uh, to make a political statement, he took a can of spray paint and he defaced that artwork. Now, the guy was uh, foolish because it was caught on camera, and shortly thereafter, they arrested him. But thank God, at that particular museum, that there was an art restoration specialist, an art restorer. And so immediately, they took that canvas off the wall, and they began the painstaking process of removing the paint that had just damaged that canvas. It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus does. see, because Jesus sees each and every one of us for who we are and who we were created to be, he looks past how sin has defaced us and damaged us and discolored our view of him, discolored and damaged our view of each other, Jesus sees you for who you really are, just like he did that man on the way room. I want to ask you a question today, and it's a question I have to ask myself. How well do I see others like Christ does? How well do I see them? Do I see them like he sees them, with compassion and care, Do I see their worth, and do I see them worthy of my time, worthy of my patience, worthy of my compassion? I just had my annual physical with the uh, uh, Veterans uh, Hospital, and um, just before I left, I talked to my primary care provider about needing to to see uh, the eye doctor. Uh, Come to find out a year ago, I went in to see the eye doctor, and the eye doctor said, well, you know, do you need progressive lenses? I said, what are you talking about? I don't need progressive lenses. No, no, you need progressive lenses. You need bifocal, trifocals. You're of that, that age, and I think you, you're going to need them. I just in such denial. You got to be kidding me, you know? Now, all along, I've been doing this. You know, all along, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. I just thought I had scratches on my lens. And so I was in complete denial about it. Well, a year later, I'm going to tell you what. I need some progressive lenses, okay? <laughs> because my ability to zoom in and out of you know what I'm talking about, and you're already doing this uh, all the time. And the reality of it is this, it reminds me that as Christians, we need to have two lenses. We need to have one that sees the here and now, and that one that sees eternity. It's so easy as a Christian to keep your mind on Jesus, on spiritual things, and on heaven, and then we forget the the trouble and the crisis around us. Or maybe it's the other way around. Uh, We can see that which is near but we forget that we live in life of eternity. I want to encourage you to see others the way Christ sees them, and begin to see your faith in a holistic way, not just ready to leave this earth, but here and now to impact the world around you. Amen? So Jesus, he saw that man. The second thing is Jesus knew the waiting man. Jesus knew the waiting man. Okay, let's go back to our text. It says this, verse 6, When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been there, Now, let's pause really quick. Um, This man had been there for 38 years. For 38 years, he couldn't get into the pool. For 38 long years, someone else beat him to the punch. Someone else received healing, and he did not. What's interesting here is in the original language, uh, the word here means to learn or to know from proximity. It means to know someone from being near them being intimate and vulnerable with him. What I imagine is that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Great Physician, the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world, amongst all the people in that waiting room, he perceived something about that man. He saw his worth. He saw his value. And then he came near him. And I perceived that Jesus got down at his level, right there on that mat. And he sat there and he listened. Jesus knew the man, he knew his condition, but he learned, he took time to listen to him. It's a beautiful picture, and the truth today is that Jesus knows you too. Jesus hears you. Jesus is near you too. Amen? Philippians chapter 2 paints a beautiful picture of this. Verse 1 through 11, I'll read it for you. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in Spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... "...value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others." Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, then says, "...in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant... You see, Jesus came into our world to be with us and to provide a way for true, lasting, eternal healing. The God of the universe sent his son to come and be with us in the largest waiting room we all know, called Earth. He did that didn't stay afar in his throne. He came to be with us and to minister to us. There's a fancy theological word. It's called incarnation in the flesh. God came in flesh to be with us. Jesus, the king, knew that man. He listened to him. He knows you and he's listening to you. Amen? The question I have to ask myself, and maybe it's a question you need to ask yourself, is how well do I know others like Christ does? How well do I listen to them? How well do I know their story? Like Christ, we, we can we can be among others. We can be with them. We can offer them love and hope in genuine relationship. And it often just starts with listening and learning their story. I want to encourage you today to listen and learn and be with people, even when you don't know how to help them. Just be with them. Uh, this was true a few weeks ago when I was with my client at the hospital in the waiting room. It was true about 13 years ago when Kim and I took a number of the students from this church on a missions trip. We went to Washington, D.C. and served uh, there in our nation's capital. And come to find out the church we were serving at had an infestation of bed bugs some of you may remember that. And um, by the end of our week, we had discovered that the girls' dormitory in this particular building had a massive infestation of bed bugs. And if you don't know anything about bed bugs, they come out at night. That's why they're called bed bugs. And they bite you while you're sleeping. But usually the, the sting, the reaction, doesn't happen for maybe a day or two. So it's like 24, 48 hours later, you start getting a welts. and then well, it just so happened that my wife, Kim, can sleep through a hurricane or a tornado or gale force winds. Kim can sleep through anything. And apparently that particular week, she slept through these bed bugs biting on her. And so as we headed back here to Lamont with the youth group, some of the girls had noticed that they had bites. And Kim started to know that she had bed bites on her body. She started feeling really bad. And on her way back from Washington, D.C., we stopped in Sandusky, Ohio to go to Cedar Point amusement park. It's kind of our way of celebrating a great missions trip with the youth. And I come to find out, um, as we pulled into the campground near the amusement park, Kim started developing these bites all over her body and she just felt miserable. So much so that around 1.30 in the morning, I actually left the youth with the adult leaders and I took Kim to the emergency room and she had to get like a cortisone shot. Um, Her whole body was just writhing in pain And in fact, the following morning, uh, I decided uh, that I would stay back with Kim while the youth and the leaders went to Cedar Point and enjoyed the roller coaster park. And that particular day, as I was with Kim, um, I just thought, let me count how many bug bites she has on her body. I just thought, let me count. Because there were a lot. I mean, I kid you not. So I systematically counted all the bites on her body. Do you know how many bug bites she had? 1,800 bites on her body. I want to tell you, my wife was miserable, okay? And by extension, I was miserable too. And so in that moment, there was nothing I could do but rub calamine lotion on her and speak words of comfort to her. But I knew, sure as day, I needed to be with her in the midst of her misery. I want to remind you today, no matter what you're going through, you're not alone. God by his Holy Spirit is present. And he's working all things for good. You're not alone. God is with you. Are you are you doing the same for others? Are you present in their life getting to know him. The third thing that we see in our story, and then we'll begin to conclude, is that Jesus helped the helpless man. Jesus helped the helpless man. Let's look at our text once again. Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Now, it's hard to see at first glance here, but this is really a rhetorical question. Of course, the man wanted to get well. He just said for 38 years he had tried to get well and he couldn't get into the pool. It was blatantly obvious. What we miss here in the English text is, is, is really the sense that Jesus was essentially saying, I want to help you. Do you want me to help you? I love that. I want to help you. Do you want my help? That's the nature of the king that we serve. He never forces himself upon us. He graciously comes, and he offers to help us. Friends, that's the nature of the gospel. The good news is that God created us to be with him. Our sins separate us from God. Those sins cannot be removed by good deeds. But Jesus came humbly, willingly to pay the penalty, to pay the price for our sins. And everyone who trusts in Him alone, there's no manipulation, there's no coercion. It's by trust, it's by faith, by belief in Him alone that we have eternal life. And yes, that eternal life begins today and lasts forever. But He's with us today, working all things for good. Amen? And there he was, Jesus speaking to that man, offering to help him. I want to tell you something today. Jesus wants to help you, too. Jesus wants to help you, too. A few years ago, I found myself running a half marathon. You guys know Skinny Mark likes running. I used to be Fat Mark, but Skinny Mark likes running. And um, I had some plantar fasciitis, and it was excruciating, and it took several months to heal I signed up for a half marathon, and I thought I'm going to get my money's worth, and I'm going to get my ribbon, uh, my medal. And so I thought I would really healed up. And, um, I, you know, um, the race started. I crossed the finish line. And you know, a half mile into a 13-mile race, I realized I hadn't healed up from that time of My arch and my foot had not fully healed. I was a half mile into a 13-mile race when I realized I had made a mistake. And at that moment, I thought, maybe I should just stop. But if you know me, I don't like quitting. And I thought, no, I'm going to keep going. And you know, every step of the next 12 and a half miles was excruciating. It was agonizing. In fact, there were a few times as I would run and my foot would hit the ground, there would be a searing pain from the sole of my foot that would shoot up the nerves all the way up to my head. And I would shout out, Jesus! Literally, people, that's what I did. I was pathetic. You know, my form, my time, everything was pathetic. I wasn't yet walking. I was hobbling, though. And I was in such agonizing pain. And the entire time, I kept looking back. I kept thinking about giving up. I kept thinking about quitting. And I said, no, I've got to keep pressing on. I've got to keep looking forward. There's a passage in Scripture that says that we should fix our eyes on Jesus so that we can run the agonizing race of faith. It's in Hebrews chapter that particular day I ran an agonizing race. And it was funny because about a mile out from the finish line, I saw someone else that looked equally, equally as pathetic as me. And I said, oh, hi, pathetic person. No, I didn't say that. But she was in pain. She was struggling as well. And so I came up next to her and we were both moving very slow and I began having a conversation. Because when you're not running fast, you can have a conversation. And, um, Her name was Michelle. Uh, She's having a midlife crisis. She just quit her job that week. She'd never run a race in her life. She thought, I'm going to sign up for a half marathon. I thought, oh, my goodness, this lady's crazy. You know, I've I've trained. I've practiced for this. I've run other races. Uh, Yes, I have an injury, and that's my problem. But, man, this lady's crazy. But she was in agonizing pain. Do you know at that moment, I went from focusing on my pain and my problems suddenly realizing that God had placed me next to her to help her. And it was transformative. It was transformative. In that moment, it wasn't about me. It was about her. And so we talked about all kinds of things in between our aches and owie and ouch and screams. And do you know by the time we got to that finish line, I grabbed Michelle's hand and we crossed the finish line together. And it was just this huge elation, you know? And then I went and saw Kim and hugged her and cried. And this lady went and saw her husband and looked back and thanked me that she finished the race as well. The reality of it is, we need each other. Some of you are doing really good in life right now. No aches, no pains, whether it's emotionally, financially, or physically. But all around you are people that are really struggling. And it's hard for them to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. And they need you. The question I have to ask myself is, how well do I help others? All around us are people that need help, that need hope. You know, Scripture tells us everything I've just showed you can be seen in one verse, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God, our Creator, sees us, and he sent Jesus, story. We're going to conclude in prayer. I don't know if the worship team is coming or so okay. Worship team, would you come? We're going to conclude in prayer in a minute. Beautiful story. You know, something that occurs to me today as we conclude our time, it's this, and it's going to be on the screen. King Jesus is stirring the water. King Jesus is stirring the water. How will you respond to a world, a world waiting for hope? King Jesus is stirring the water. How will you Respond to a world waiting for hope. I want to encourage you to do three things today. I want to encourage you to see others like Christ sees them. Uh, I see people better. I perceive them as Christ does when I'm spending time listening or reading to the Bible and hearing the voice of God. I spend time seeing others. Um, uh, I see others better, and I see them like Christ with compassion when I spend time praying and listening to God. I want to challenge you to see others. listen to them, to learn from them. And that takes a little bit of discipline. It means slowing down your pace a little bit. It means um, lining up with someone that maybe is going through a difficult time and listening to their story. And I want to challenge you to help others. Help them by praying for them, caring for them, and sharing the good news. The good news of eternal hope found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're going to pray, and then the worship team is going to lead us in a, a response uh, song. Join me in praying today. And I want to just conclude this, by the way. Here, this pool is called Bethesda. Bethesda, in the original language, means house of mercy. It literally means uh, house of loving kindness. I pray that Calvary Church of Lamont is a house of loving kindness. I pray that you, as Christ followers, in the waiting room of life, God, we thank you so much for this beautiful story of King Jesus entering that waiting room and seeing that man in his despair. We thank you, Lord, that he got down at his level and learned from him and knew him. He was near him. And that he helped him and gave him hope. It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us. We thank you, God, that you see us. You, You really know us for who we are. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you, God, that you're near. We you said, Jesus, to be with us. And by faith and trust in him alone, we have eternal life. But you've given your spirit to continue to be with us, to comfort us, to even counsel us, and help us cross that great eternal finish line. We thank you, Lord, for that. We thank you, Lord, that you help us day in and day out. You help us. God, my prayer today is if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, as a God who sees today and believe. Right now, Lord, that they would believe. Lord, if there are people here today that maybe they've become real uh, stagnant still in the race of faith, Lord, that they would know that you're with them and you're going to help them every step of the way. Lord, there are some people here today I know. They're in the waiting room. They need you, God. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, comfort them and remind them that you do, in fact, see them. If you Do hear them?